Hey, where are you going, Jim? The elevator's over here. Taking the stairs. But our meeting's up on eight. Yeah, I know. But that's eight floors up. That's like eight times eight. I don't A lot of stairs. That's the point. I've already lost a few pounds and earned almost $100 in wellness incentives. Whoa, you're getting rewarded for working out? Yeah, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are, Bob. Fearless is full of surprises. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits and sign up at fepblue.org slash choose blue by December 11th. Welcome inside the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, John Ledyard from over at FanRagSports.com. And I know it has been a trying time for Steelers fans. And there's been a lot of questions about the offense, even about the defense, the running, the run defense, and why certain issues and certain aspects of the team are not working right now and are not clicking right now. And I've, I've done my best to be able to field and answer those questions. But in order to do you guys a, a true service, and I've brought in the best in the business who knows how to answer those questions better than anyone else. And if anyone can tell us what's wrong with the Steelers offense and fix these issues, it would be Alex Kazora, my good friend from over at SteelersDepot.com. Alex, how are you doing today, my man? I'm good, John. You're fighting the good fight, but I'm afraid <laughs> it might be a losing battle on Twitter and, and on the internet. Yes, it has been. It's been interesting because and I know you've gotten the same question over and over again. It's what what is wrong with the Steelers' offense? And I think people often want like a little quick fix type of thing. Like, oh, if they tweak this one thing, everything will fall into place. And I, that's just not the reality. But it isn't doesn't mean that all is lost for this group either. So. As you see it, and, and you watch every game and rewatch them and, and study the All-22 and write about all aspects of the team, and if, if you haven't checked out Steelers Depot stuff and you're listening uh, to this podcast, go over and check out SteelersDepot.com. They do incredible work covering the Steelers. But y- one of the biggest things that I think we've talked about is that there's not just one issue, but at the same time, if you look at the tape and what you've seen so far from the Steelers' offense, what would you say are the biggest issues right now that must improve if this team is going to play better moving forward? Yeah, John, I think that's a really important point, and I know everyone wants to either put it all on Ben and talk about his demise or all on Todd Haley or, you know, locker room drama or whatever, mm-hmm. but, you know, it, it's always multi-layered whenever an offense is struggling so bad. You know, the Steelers have only put up more than seven points in a quarter one time. They're the only team in the NFL to do it just once. Even Miami, lowly Miami, has done it Jeez. twice. So, it, you know, it, when it's that bad... It's always going to be a bunch of different things. Um, obviously, they, they've had a lot of games where they haven't been able to get the run game going. Mm-hmm. Part of that is game circumstance. Um, if you can get some more perimeter runs going, you look at Baltimore, you're able to get the ball on the edge with some of those power and counter trade concepts. Um, I think that's going to help. Um, obviously, just a general commitment to the run game um, is going to be better. I, I, I just think some of it's a self-scouting issue. You know, John, it reminds me of the New England, you know, championship game last year where I thought the biggest issue defensively wasn't just the fact that they were running zone. It was just when they were running zone and they were being predictable in some of the play calls. Um, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. The the tipped interception by the no stack that got picked off by Telvin Smith uh, this past week. Yes, it was a tip ball and people can look at it and say that's unlucky. But they've been running that slant flat combination for a couple weeks now. And it happened against Baltimore where one throw, it goes complete, but it was a really tight window and the second one got batted down and this one got batted and then it got tipped so it was the same mm-hmm. situation second along to the boundary it was a slant a b you know so you look at some of that stuff it's real detailed and kind of nuanced mm-hmm. but you know it's some of that predictability issues um and then obviously it's just an execution thing where ben's got to play better um th- there's no getting around that so i mean i could spend a half hour talking about this but i just think 
a little bit more variety, getting the ball on the edge more, and just staying competitive in these games so you don't have to, to bail to the pass the whole time like they did against you know, Chicago and Jacksonville. You guys do really comprehensive charting stuff at Steelers Depot where you chart every offensive play and, and the defense as well, I believe, and, and, and look at formations, personnel, who's on the field, what, you know, are they in shock and I understand all kinds of things like that to try and find trends and where the team's been successful. And you guys believe you found one, and there's an article about it over at SteelersDepot.com. You believe you found a way, it sounds like, for the Steelers to potentially try something that could jumpstart the offense, the passing game, Ben Roethlisberger, but also perhaps even Le'Veon Bell in the run game, right? Yeah, and it's a concept that I, I'm sure you talked about and I've mm-hmm. talked about and, uh, you know, before the season started with some four receiver sets, running some 10 personnel, one running back, no tight ends, four receivers. Um, the Steelers did it quite a bit week one against Cleveland. They've done it a couple times since, and you're right, we do the charting. Our Matthew Marks for Steelers Depot does an incredible job. And, you know, when four receivers are on the field for Big Ben, he's 9-10 for 135 yards. Um, I'm not saying this is going to be the cure-all to the offense. I'm not saying to do this as your base. You know, don't call New York Jets on me, but uh, <laughs> please don't go all New York Jets on me. But anyway. LA has the same record as the Steelers, so That's I don't know. It's, 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 it's getting sad. But, um, you know, use it 10 times a game. You know, I think Eli Rogers are probably going to be active this week, so you're going to have A.B. and Brian on the outside, Juju and Eli on the inside. Um, spread things out, create more isolated matchups, force teams in the sub package. And, and, you know, like you said, it might help the running game as well. You're going to remove a linebacker. You're going to lighten that box a little bit. You're going to put a DB on the field. Um, maybe giving Bell that extra room is going to help. So, you know, I, I think, you know, it's been shown in a small sample size to be effective. I think on paper it works. You have the personnel and you've done it a little bit before. So it's not a completely out of the blue, making it up Madden type idea. So I don't know if they're going to do it, but I hope they do, you know, try a little bit of 10 personnel. As you evaluate the run game, and I think you bring up a good point where that could help things, what do you think has been the biggest issue? Is it scheme-related? Is it offensive line execution? Is it Le'Veon Bell slacking? I know I've had my opinions and offered them on here, and they've kind of varied even from game to game a little bit, but what do you think has been the biggest issue with getting the run game, you know, quote-unquote going to the point that it's a dominant uh, aspect of the team? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, John. I don't know if I have a, you know, concrete answer, you know, like anything with this offense, it's going to be several layers, you know, at times the last couple weeks, the run game's been effective. I know Le'Veon Bell averaged only 3.1 yards per carry against Jacksonville, but I think going into the third quarter, partway through the third quarter, he was averaging over four yards a carry, which is some of the couple carries later he got stuffed and it bumped the average down and obviously game situation, um, Chicago as well, where, you know, you don't get the big rushing stats, but the per carry, you know, isn't too bad. Um, you know, they've had some injuries, obviously, you know, uh, going from Gilbert to Chris Hubbard's a big downgrade. Uh, Villanueva's had some issues. He's been sick and, you know, hasn't played his best ball this year. Um, I, I, it's hard to find an exact answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of it's game situation. Um, you know, I, I think one issue is they face a lot of 4-3 teams. And I think historically, you know, uh, in the last 10 years or so, the Steelers have always run worse against even fronts. Um, they have a mm. difficult time getting their linemen to the second level. They don't get a great push up front. Um, I think they run a lot better against, you know, odd fronts where they face that every day in practice and, and they know how to run against it the best. So I'm not using it as the basic, biggest excuse. You know, it's not like they've never run against a 4-3 team before. But I think generally they've had more problems against those teams you look at jacksonville you look at minnesota um you look at teams like that that they've had more problems against 
it kind of felt like going into the year that this offense had all the pieces, especially now that Martavis Bryant was back. Because he, if there was a struggle last year, it was can they attack and stretch the vertical deep portions of the field consistently? Sammy Coates in and out of the lineup. Darius Hayward Bay, just kind of an inconsistent guy. There wasn't that guy that you could rely on at all times to be able to stretch the field and be the big play vertical threat. Bryant comes back in the fold. It feels like this offense has everything. He's made some plays here and there, but there's also a lot of inconsistencies. What's your evaluation of Martavis Bryant been so far this season, and has he added that dimension that Pittsburgh hoped he would? No, he hasn't. Now, it's not all his fault. You know, Ben struggled in the deep ball. He's overthrown. He's underthrown Martavis Bryant this year. Um, the weirdest thing with him, I think Jackson was a good example of it, John, is just the lack of yak. What do you have, four or five catches for yeah. 20 yards against Jacksonville? He hit some of those crossers, and he couldn't make the first guy miss. A couple of weird ankle tackles that tripped him up. He's the most athletically and physically gifted guy on the field in almost every single game that he plays in, mm-hmm. um, and he hasn't been able to play to that level. So it's not all on him because, obviously, you know, Ben has struggled so much but even some of the stuff where he's gotten the ball in his hands he hasn't played you know he's, he's kind of played a little soft it's kind of been like jesse james you know i remember a couple screen passes throughout the year where he's kind of danced around and not gotten up field the way that you know a guy of his size you know what is he six four two thirty because he got his weight up this year you know he is not playing to that size so um some of it's rust i understand you miss a year of football you can't you know talk about that enough that that's a big thing to come back from um but yeah it's certainly not been the impact that that you and i envisioned right uh, you've mentioned this. I, I don't know if you were on the first, or I've seen a couple of people talk about it, but I know you mentioned it as well. But Juju Smith-Schuster actually outsnapping him is that more testament to the fact that Smith-Schuster's come along so well, um, right? Right, is where he is in this point in his career, or the fact that Martavis has struggled, or a little bit of both. Yeah, probably a little bit of both, and and you're right. Just the stat on that: out the last three weeks, Juju's outsnapped Brian 170 to 155, mm. and he's outsnapped him every game the last three weeks. So it's not just one game that's mm. skewing the numbers. Um, I, I think it's just you know an availability thing where again Brian trying to work his way back. Um, Juju's obviously a little, little bit more versatile, so they found more uses for him. Mm-hmm. He's a better blocker. They really like what Juju's done in the run game, so that's tried to help open that up. You know the Steelers haven't gotten a lot of big you know, 15 to 20 uh, yard runs this year. And usually one reason for that is you're not getting a lot of perimeter blocking from your receivers. You know, obviously AB is probably one of the worst blocking receivers in the NFL. (laughs) So you want to try to get someone out there opposite that can create a little bit. That's why guys like DHB and Kobe Hamilton have had a little bit of value that they have because they are effective blockers in the run game. They can crack those safeties so they can stock block the corners. So um, I think it's maybe just a physicality tone setter thing. Um, and the versatility that Juju brings is the reason why he's getting a little bit more playtime. Probably another good thing about if they did go to some more 10 personnel, having a blocker like Juju would help a little bit too on the field still. Um, The defensive side of the ball, this is the unit that I think – it's it's hard to almost evaluate what the defense has done this season because there have been so many some really inconsistent moments, but I still feel like this is one. I feel like this is one of the most talented front sevens in the NFL. I I really feel that way, and I, I know that. Yet they've allowed two hundred plus rushing yards twice this season again, and they did it last season, and it just seems like a consistent issue with consistency. Uh, whether it's tackling, it has been at some points this season, or, or gap fits, or. We've talked about this a lot, you and I, on Twitter. We talked about it, and I know we've, we've DM'd about it as well and talked about Keith Butler struggles at getting this you prepared and getting them lined up correctly and having the right personnel for certain situational play and some of his calls. What's your evaluation so far of the run defense and how much of the struggles do you put on Butler? 
I think it's a good bit. And it's always tough to talk about a coach because, you know, their work comes Monday through Saturday and the results come Sunday. So it's sometimes hard to, to take that next level. It's hard just to watch these in general and evaluate the players, you know, us from 30,000 feet. So it's even tougher for a coach. But, um, yeah, some of the run fits have been bad, but I, I just feel like Butler's being a little too cute with it. And, again, like you said, you and I have talked about it where they're running some of these run stunts that – they tried last year. What really wasn't effective, you know, they've been running that fire X on first and 10. And when it works, it works. But when it doesn't, now you have a huge gap, you know, uh, in the middle of the field. And, you know, Fournette had like a 12-yard gain off of that. You know, once you get into that second level, there's there's no one there until the safety comes down. Um, Butler's run that. And, and I don't know. We, you, you and I have called it different things. But just that over front, mm-hmm. they're, they'll shift to the, the strong side and walk uh, the shift side linebacker off the ball. Um, you know, they'll tilt the nose tackle uh, into the A-gap, um, you know, and it's been effective occasionally, but I think it just kind of muddies things up and it hurts the run fits. Uh, the Steelers ran this over front uh, three times against Jacksonville. They allowed 31 yards rushing. Um, they've just had it. They've just done a bad job with their run fits, I think. You know, corners haven't been big in run support. Artie Burns, zero tackles against the run this year. Uh, he's got to get more involved. He's got to be a better tackler. Um, so, you know, again, it's multi-layered, but I, I just think the run fits have been probably the worst thing. And then the tackling probably second. Yeah, it's been unusual to watch Artie Burns because there are moments where you're like, man, yeah, this guy, like you can, you get it. You get why they draft him in the first round. And then there's other moments where it just looks like he even forgets what he's doing on a football field. And you're, it's so <laughs> confusing to watch him. Yeah. Um, I think that, that Marcus Lee comeback route that he ran on that sideline, you know, Artie Burns might still be running downfield vertically <laughs> on that one. I mean, it just seems you- like some of his processing in game isn't all there. Is that what you see when you watch him? Yeah, well, I think in coverage, you know, you're right. He's had some some problems, but in coverage, it's hard to complain. Now we'll face tougher tests, uh, and we'll, we'll get a better evaluation of Artie Burns then. But the run defense, I mean, you remember that clip against Chicago in overtime, right? That cracker place where Artie is supposed to replace uh, Wilcox's role in the alley, and he just falls down. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally the worst play I've ever seen a football player make <laughs> in my horrible. entire life. And I, I, I'm old enough to remember the Kent Graham days and stuff like that. So uh, it's it was really bad. So it's just, yeah, he just has those moments where he just forgets what he's doing. It's some sort of weird 51st dates thing where he wakes up every day and forgets who Adam Sandler is. But there's an, there's an obscure, <laughs> awful movie reference for you. So I hate that I like movie, that. by the way. <laughs> yeah, me too. Bad movie. <laughs> he's Listen an interesting player, and, and Sean Davis has been interesting as well because I – I think we were both pretty encouraged by what we saw from Sean Davis last year, but this year it just seems like something's missing. I don't know if it's that he's banged up or, but he just seems like he's not playing with the same sharpness he played with last year. And the physicality and the effort seem to come and go even a little bit. And, you know, the run fills we, we've talked about a lot. The execution's been off on a lot of the run fills, the angles, you know, the, the proper way to take on blockers. It just seems like, He's not quite getting it in run support right now, and it's been a big issue for the defense. Been one of the biggest issues for the run defense this season. Yeah, I, I think the alley guys have struggled the most. Um, I remember the first run against Baltimore that Alex Collins popped for twenty mm-hmm. something yards. Um, I'm pretty sure Davis was the alley guy, and he just takes the block. You know, he doesn't take the block square, and he gets turned out, and it, it turns into a huge gain. Um, yeah, Davis has been you know a disappointment. I mean, his his tackling's been a little more consistent. I mean, I assume that he's because he's healthier now. He had that labrum issue last year that really really hindered him and I you know I graded last year on the curve for multiple reasons health and being a rookie and being moved around the way he has but you know John when I think about the strong safety position in Pittsburgh I think of playmakers I think of a guy like Troy Polamalu and and while I don't expect Davis to play at that level I expect him to produce some level of splash and he's Mm -hmm. done 
essentially none of that in, in, in two years in the NFL. And um, he hasn't done well enough elsewhere to justify, you know, that spot. A guy like Robert Golden got benched because while he was a consistent, you know, alley filler and run tackler and all that, he didn't produce any splash plays. Um, and that's why Sean Davis got drafted, and that's why Sean Davis took the spot pretty quickly. And, and, and a guy like J.J. Wilcox, while he's over-aggressive at times and he'll make some dumb mistakes, um, he's produced some big splash plays, interception, a forced fumble, stuff like that. So that's what the position demands. And and I'll tell you, John, the last play uh, Jacksonville ran last week, that Fournette 90-yard touchdown, um, I get it was late. I get the game was over. I'm, I'm sure Sean Davis was kind of tired, but mm-hmm. he just kind of gives up about the 40-yard line. Right. And you say, Joe Hayden, just run it down the whole way. And, you know, maybe in another year we wouldn't think much of it, but when you think about the Chicago game, what Vance McDonald did to run down Marcus Cooper and, right. and make that play, you never know what's going to happen. That should be obvious teaching tape right there. Mm-hmm. And, and Davis just quit, for lack of right. a better word. He, he went all Gerard Holloman on us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and, and that stuff I think is unexcusable. So honestly, if they made a switch to J.J. Wilcox, I would not be mad about it because he's going to be, uh, I think, a more consistent player, maybe a higher effort guy. And, and more, uh, most of all, he's going to produce some splash plays that this defense really needs. Yeah, well, I mean, never thought we'd be saying that after watching Davis last season, but it's not mm-hmm. been a good start to, to this year for sure. Um, talk about the edge pass rushers just a little bit. Um, uh, Bud Dupree, TJ Watt, highly athletic guys. Uh, Watt's been out. I think he missed one game. I can't remember now. One or one mm-hmm. or two, but he, he's been out there for most of the season. Dupree's been out there since he came back from that early injury. Um, Dupree taking the next step that you wanted him to see. Watt impressing a lot as a rookie. What's your been your evaluation so far? Yeah, I'm curious to hear your take, John, because I know you've mm-hmm. studied these guys really closely. But yeah, I, I think that Watt's been impressive, not only just from, you know, I think being uh, consistent and, and being well-rounded in his run defense. You know, I think it's been relatively strong. He's obviously gotten after the quarterback, but just the volume of snaps that he's playing. Uh, there's no rotation anymore in Pittsburgh, which has always kind of been Tomlin and Keith Butler's goal. You know, they've only had rotations in the past when they've had to. Um, so you have Watt and Dupree playing 90 to 95% of the snaps. And for a guy like, you know, TJ Watt um, to come in and just shoulder that load, to drop into coverage as much as he does. I haven't updated the stats from the Jacksonville game, but before Jacksonville, John, Watt was dropping into coverage 44% of the time. Um, so he has been used a, a ton, and he's done a good job of it. He's been athletic. He's made some plays in coverage, um, which I think is a big reason why, you know, James Harrison's been on the inactive list. Um, so I think Watt, just, just the overall conditioning factor that he's showing has been really impressive for a rookie. It's pretty uncommon um and then yeah dupree you know i think it's just all that hard work um you know we got to give a hat tip to to chuck smith for mm-hmm. for training during the off season um you know i think he's able to dip the edge better he's, his bend's been better which is something that he doesn't always improve but i think it's been better and i think it just affects that he's he's not completely healthy because i think he's dealing with a shoulder injury that he's going to mm-hmm. deal with the entire year but just he's out there and he's getting reps and i think he just t- couldn't do that last year because of the groin surgery missed uh, half the year so just just getting reps and, and being in practice every day is kind of big for him and just lets you take that next step yeah I, I think it's been i've been very impressed with tj watts overall just ability to handle everything like you said he's been i think he's been fantastic in coverage um yeah. and, and in space and as a run defender and as a pass rusher, he's flashing. Uh, I think it's it's gonna that's gonna be the last part of his game to fully develop, maybe. But I didn't expect him to even be where he's at. So yeah, uh, definitely mm-hmm. impressive stuff from him. Um, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. 
There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets, whether it's concerts or football games, basketball games, whatever it might be, though. When I'm looking for tickets, SeatGeek is the way to go because they save you the time and the money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices. They find amazing deals, get you the most bang for your buck by grading every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. And best of all, my listeners get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LONFL today. That's promo code LONFL for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Alex, one of the toughest questions for us to answer, I think, at this point in the season for fans is, how much do you put on Mike Tomlin? Because there's the reality that he's the head coach, and there's the reality that there's been some comments made in the locker room, and I, the media always blows things up and blows things out of proportion. But at the same time, the Steelers have given some fuel to the fire with some of the things that have been said and some of the things that have happened. Um, and there's the aspect of dealing with that. There's the aspect of dealing with the X's and O's of, of football to what degree does he do that and what does he in terms of taking control maybe from Keith Butler or suggesting things to Keith Butler how much say does he have in that stuff we don't know for sure um and, and then there's the game management stuff you know the challenges the things like that 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 don't seem to make any sense um and, mm-hmm. and you know and some of the personnel usage even with not playing Hargrave as much as he should have been playing earlier in the season and yeah it's I think some of those things you know how much do we put on the head coach and how much is on the coordinators and how do we evaluate that aspect of things when people say well how much of this is on Tomlin especially when the Steelers have had very similar struggles year in and year out of playing on the road playing down to bad teams you know not playing well in certain you know certain competitive environments uh whether it be just on the road or just based on the fact that the team that they're about to face has the maybe perception a lot of it's early in the season so I don't want to necessarily say record but maybe the perception of being a a bad football team it seems like they they don't always get up and aren't always focused for those games lots of penalties you know, all this to say, how much really goes on Tomlin, and how do you evaluate that type of that type of question when you get it about a head coach? I mean, it's it's a really critical question, John. It's just really hard for me to answer. You know, mm-hmm. I talked about earlier how tough it is to evaluate players. It's even tougher to evaluate coordinators, and it's even tougher for me to evaluate a head coach who is not calling plays the way that some uh, head coaches do. Right. Just just to start, I mean, yes. Some of it falls on Mike Tomlin. He's the head coach. Everything that happens with his team is under his nose, and he's going to take the blame for it whenever things go wrong. So there is some level. I don't know how much to put on there. I don't have an arbitrary percentage to throw out there, but there is some level that goes on Mike Tomlin, of course. And the team has him too penalized. This team has struggled too much on the road. This team has, quote unquote, played down to opponents. That's all true. But, you know, what, what is, is there a specific thing on Tomlin that you can point to and say this was a terrible mistake? And it's it's harder for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the game management stuff, yes, it is wonky. That's because you know Tomlin he goes from his gut, so it's just kind of a random spin a wheel. You never know what's going to happen uh, in his decision making, which can be frustrating. But you know sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's how that's how your gut works. But and you know there is blame for Tomlin. It's just hard for me to say that you know Mike Tomlin is to blame because X, Y, and Z. Once you ask for exact specifics. I think it gets a little bit tougher. Yeah, I think it does become a very difficult thing to evaluate. I, I've always been – I know I'm a Tomlin fan. You're a Tomlin fan. We love mm-hmm. a lot of the things that he's done. 
there's obviously some concerns with this team. And now they face this weird kind of quest. There's a lot of weird things about the Steelers season, not only what's happened so far, but about the upcoming season. Steelers have typically played well in night games. They've got like 18 of them coming up. They play better at home. <laughs> They've got a big home stretch coming up uh, to finish off the season. They played a bunch of away games early in the season. So looking at all that and looking at the, the AFC North is a dumpster fire, right? Um, and mm-hmm. this, so is the rest of the AFC, basically, other than Kansas City and, and New England. And you could throw Denver in the conversation if you want. You can throw whoever from the AFC South if you want. But let's be honest. you know The, the Super Bowl representative in the AFC is more than likely a high percentage chance it comes from New England or Kansas City or Pittsburgh if they get it together. Mm-hmm. Um, to, so have, considering all that, a, do you still consider the Steelers the favorites to win the North? And B, do you think this team can, with the way that the, their schedule set up with all the night games and you know being relatively healthy right now, you knock on wood, um, and uh, playing a lot at home down the stretch this season, do you think that their best football is still to come? Do you think they can get this thing together? Well, I mean, if their best football isn't to come and it gets worse, <laughs> then I don't know how much worse it's going to get. We're in, we're, the Steelers are in big trouble. Um, yeah, I mean, they can win the North because, like you said, it's awful, and you're just competing with Baltimore right now, and I think the Steelers have better than Baltimore. I mean, you know, the Ravens have 8 billion guys on injured reserve, and we're only in October, so it's only going to get worse from there. Um, so, yeah, they can win the North maybe as a 9-7, and 10-6 and six team. Um, and, and sure, you know, it's still all theoretical for Pittsburgh. The light can come on at some point. Things can turn around. There are going to be good games and good days for this offense. It's just a matter of how consistently does it happen. Uh, but you're right. You know, if you look at just historical precedent, um, they're good at home. Uh, they, they do all at night. They're really good the second half of the season. I think the last three or four seasons, the Steelers are six and two or better. Uh, the second half of the year, they were seven and one last season. So, you know, you've seen this team come out slow starts before. Um, they had a slow start last year, and what were they? Were they four and five last year? Is mm-hmm. that what they were? I think yeah. the, the start last year somewhere around there. Yeah, we're um, good. And they turned things around. So we, we've we've done this song and dance before. It's frustrating. It doesn't make me feel better about it, but that is the reality. So all hope is not lost. But is there serious concern? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember to, even though they're three and two, and it, you're like, oh well, they have a winning record. It's hard to remember them coming out this flat offensively with this much talent for five straight games, even even when they win. That's mm-hmm. that being said, your uh, last question for you, and we'll just address Kansas City really quickly. Kansas City matchup coming up. It's on the road, but the Steelers have won, I think, five of the last six against Kansas City, and I think the game they lost was a close one, and they lost it with Landry Jones, a quarterback. So Ben's had a lot of success against Kansas City, and now you get Kansas City, and it is on the road, but the Steelers do tend to bounce back from bad performances you know, it's a 425 kick. You know, what's what's your thought going into this game? I know you have, you're still diving into the tape a little mm. bit and evaluating things from that perspective, but do you see the Steelers bouncing back this week and maybe putting things together despite the fact that they could be playing the best team in the NFL? I'm thinking with my heart here and not my brain. Maybe that's a scary thing to do, but <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a rational way, I think that they can bounce back because the Steelers usually play their best football when they're the underdogs, when they're counted out, when mm-hmm. no one thinks that they can win. And you're right. You know, they went in Arrowhead last year and they won. Um, it's a tough place to play. It's a really good Kansas City team, of course. They're going to present similar challenges to Jacksonville where they have a really strong secondary. They can play man coverage. Um, ben struggled, and I should have touched on this earlier with Ben, but he struggled mightily against cover one and two man. Um, I think his completion percentage before Jacksonville uh, last week against cover one was like 52%. You just look at and whenever they run man coverage, you know, AB gets the ball because Ben doesn't know what else to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the, the charts really good on Steelers Depot. But, um, yeah, in a weird, irrational way, I think they can bounce back and, and get this victory in Kansas City. Yeah, it is strange because – 
if you watch Kansas City and watch Pittsburgh through five weeks, you would say this game is going to be a blowout uh, at Kansas City. (laughs) There's just no reason to think. But it does seem like Pittsburgh always gives them a chance. I'm not putting any money on the Steelers based on the way they played or anything like that, but it does Mm -hmm. seem like they've presented a challenge for the Chiefs uh, for whatever reason. Uh, He is Alex Kazora from over at Steelers Depot. Give him a follow on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. That's K-O-Z-O-R-A. Buddy, always great having you on to talk Steeler football. We got to do it again more often. And enjoy the game this weekend. Enjoy and appreciate what all you guys do over at Steelers Depot. Keep up the good work and, and try and enjoy the rest of the season, as difficult as that may be right now. <laughs> Thank you, John. Always good talking to you. I know you're doing incredible uh, work as well. I'll have to be on soon. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow with more. We got the Chiefs guys coming on. Chris Clark and Ryan Tracy tomorrow from over at Locked On Chiefs. We do a crossover episode. Those guys are great. Got some really good stuff heading your way with those guys. Uh, So make sure you check that out tomorrow on Locked On Steelers. And we'll be back then early next week. Talk about the rest of the matchups throughout Sunday, where the Steelers stand in the AFC, and of course evaluate Kansas City Pittsburgh uh, in its entirety and then from an all-22 angle as well. So till next time, keep it locked right here on Locked On Steelers. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. The list.